This podcast contains a frank commentary of a gay man navigating his way through the gay scene in the 1990s onwards. Although there is no explicit material on here, it does contain mild references of gay sex and drug taking. Although I take full responsibility of my actions, I do feel that the politics and the taboos of the 90s didn't help matters and were a contributing factor to my sexual and drug addiction. If you continue listening, you accept the fact that you may find some of the subjects uncomfortable. Names and places have been anonymised to protect the identity of individuals and of places. Two thousand and one. So back at my parents. As the internet got cheaper, but not necessarily faster, this was still at the time of dial-up, my parents gave me the internet in the bedroom. We have finally moved away from the AOL days, and we have now moved to proper dating sites. These were profile and chat sites. When my parents went to bed, I was on the internet again, looking and chatting to guys. One dating site was USA-based, whilst the other, the UK. I used to disappear to meet guys near me, and we did stuff outside. I also stayed up all night, getting more scantily clad mails from my hard drive. Apparently, 10,000 photos, all in different folders for different types of acts, were never enough. I got back into 10ping. This was also the year of me going missing, this time for a whole week. I got picked up by a lad in a cruising area in London, and we went back to his. I don't know his name or age, because he lied about both. Funny thing is, a friend of mine bumped into us in a gay nightclub and called him cute. Whilst my dear friend called him, well, let's say, not cute. My dear friend picked me up on a few occasions where he lived, so knew what he looked like. I landed a full-time job, but the panic attack still happened. I was there for six months, and they tried their best to keep me on. But as we could never get to the crux of the matter, I left. This was the first of many times either being unemployed and or off sick for long spells. Panic attacks around this time were almost weekly, if not a daily basis. I was also in and out of the mental health services as well. Again, not being able to pin any of these panic attacks to anything. I suppose if I was truthful about my sexual antics at this point... It would have stopped to what was to become later. I was on many different medications for my depression. Prozac, Veloxetine, Citalopram, to name a few. Sometimes they helped, sometimes they didn't. I just spent my weekends the way I always did. Gay adult clubs. Thanks to the mugging, it did finally stop me trolling about the public toilet. So it only took ten years to figure that out. Maybe, just maybe, I wasn't going to find out what I wanted in a public loo. I have touched on taking G in private settings. There is a proportion of gay men that have normalised drugs within a sexual setting. So when you're in the private chat rooms, the conversations would go like this. Age. It's on my profile. Read the damn thing. Likes. You seriously haven't read my profile, have you? I'm place. No, but can travel within reason. 
Chems? Sure, which ones? Weed. E. C. G. Only do weed here. Needless to say, there were many occasions where I was smoking dope with guys. This was the start of the next downfall. I will add, though, the dating apps are proactive when it comes to their apps being misused by some men in this way. However, human beings can get creative around these restrictions. And as such, it's a cat and mouse game. You only really need to see in 2020 and 2021 how people are being creative with restrictions in regards to the current pandemic. The problem is not the apps themselves. It is, unfortunately, the species using them. 2002. So 2002. I'm now 26 and really should know better. My sick benefits ran out and I ended up back on job seekers allowance. August this year, I moved out to my parents and moved to the YMCA. Got a couple of funny stories about the YMCA. There were three gays, including me, and a lesbian that resided at the time I was there. Every dinner time, we would sit around our own table in the corner. The best way to describe that table every night is the banter in the flat that was in It's a Sin was the banter we had around that table much to some of the other residents' disgust. The other, I was cajoled into watching a piece of theatre by one of the team members there. Yes, that was definitely the description. It was basically the teachings of Jesus on the Mount. I'm a Monty Python fan. I was absolutely okay until it got to Blessed Are the Meek. I had to stop myself shouting out loud, thanks to many a time at Rocky Horror. Oh, it's the meek! Blessed are the meek! Oh, that's nice, isn't it? I'm glad they're getting something because I've had a hell of a time. I was there trying not to laugh. I ended up having to go to the loo and compose myself before going back to the theatre. Needless to say, I declined more theatre productions. Every room had a phone. I had a PC. I built myself a PC with a DVD drive, my music on the hard drive and a TV tuner. Nowadays, this is called a home theatre PC. But back to the phone line and PC. I went online and now I could accommodate in the day I was well away. This was also the time that my haunt had a certain night that I used to frequent and still do. My JSA came on a Tuesday and so I was able to go up on a Tuesday. This particular Christmas though, I got a mobile phone, the Nokia 3310. I went to London on Boxing Day night and went trolling in a park. Needless to say, it got stolen. Did this stop me trolling in parks? Did it hell? You see, sometimes it was cheaper to go to a club and then cruise until the first train home. Part needs must, part something else. I only had three months left at the YMCA, as the following year I moved to my own place at last. 2003 So 2003. I now have my own place. The YMCA helped me fill my flat with furniture, and they helped me buy my first washing machine. The washing machine was top of my list, as I got real fed up using the laundrette. The other thing I needed was broadband internet. I heard about this newfangled thing. It was faster than dial-up, 
8 megabits per second, compared to 56 kilobits per second, so I went for that. So, now I have my own place. The guy who I was in a relationship with was going to work and coming back to my flat lunch times. So I had morning, afternoon and evenings to myself. I had my own place, I had the dating sites and I also had broadband. As we now have faster broadband, we had peer-to-peer downloading. So, woohoo! Full porn videos. I had a lot of them. So that thing was on 24-7. On the dating sites... My handle was pretty much my postcode and my hair type on there. The chat rooms were also based on counties, so it made it easier to cruise. My tagline in the chat room was pretty much, Anyone near can I come? I got a lot of stick for that. I was very well known in that group. We did all meet from time to time in our local gay bar. I met loads of guys at home and sometimes I travelled to that area. There was one case when I met a guy, we were in a group, and someone asked how we met. And we said, the internet. Pretty radical then. But now I know that others met on IRC. So, not exactly radical as we originally thought. This was also the time I started dabbling with ecstasy. A guy came over with some, told me what the stages were, so I knew the risks of what was happening. Well, if you're going to take drugs, you have to take them responsibly, aren't you? This was the year I was sent to DWP, Department of Work and Pensions, to a work programme. These programmes all run in a similar vein. Get your CV up to scratch, get your IT skills sorted, and you should be job ready. Yeah, that's going to keep the figures down, isn't it? But that's an entirely different subject. I was going there Monday to Friday. I was also going to the club on Tuesdays. Remember, I got paid on Tuesdays. One particular night at this club, the promoter wanted some porn to show at the club, as at that time the type of porn wasn't available. Well, not as much now. I'm actually obliged. We did get paid in a Viagra, plenty of drink and a lousy t-shirt. The guy I performed with in the film, we became friends with benefits and he came with pizza and ecstasy tablets on various occasions. This was the start of me looking for guys with drugs on the gay chat rooms. So I was always online until stupid o'clock in the morning looking for sex. Sex with drugs, videos of sex and of course scantily clad men photos. But I loved it. And it wasn't a problem now, was it? 2004. So yeah, in my own place. If I got the right amount of sex, I didn't feel the need to go to London. If I went longer than two weeks, usually bound by my DWP benefits I was on at the time, I went to London. I think my days of going missing subsided as I had a home to go to. But one thing that did start to happen was when I did have the feelings of shame or guilt, I wouldn't answer the phone and or I would lock the door from the inside, much to the annoyance of my dear friend. This was also about the time the long-term relationship came to an end, as it was obvious that things weren't working. Looking back, right now, was the start of things to come. I was still frequenting my haunt. The guy I met with the E still came over, and I actually got off with the doorman at the time. We talked a lot, he was cute, and that was all what was needed. So, it was at this point, it was the cycle of... Find guys online... 
Some come back for multiple meets. If that didn't happen, look for porn. If I had money in my account, I went to London. Then I would feel remorse, stay offline for a bit, then rinse and repeat. Then I found something else on the gay scene in London at a couple of clubs. 2005. So I'm now frequenting clubs and I got lucky in a few venues where I knew of a dealer. So I was able to get E at that time. As I was now consciously looking online for guys with drugs too. I also went back with more guys that did drugs. I even had a fling with a guy that took coke. So this was even better. So if there were no drugs from online meets, then I would go to London. This just seemed to be the pattern. One particular night, the dealer offered me MCAT, and this became the drug of choice, either in a venue or online. I can't remember much about 2005 when it comes down to guys, venues, etc., because at least two to three times a month, I was taking drugs. This was the year I started my first IT business as a sole trader. I was going to be a jack of all trades. I got a grant, and things started to look rosy. Part of the business was to sell home theatre PCs, as I thought this was going to be the future, but as time passed, it just became a very niche market. Things started again to fall apart at the seams. 2006. So the year of my business venture, I had a website I built myself. I advertised and started to get a couple of customers. I was working from home. Things were cool. But I advertised in the wrong places and this was part of a work programme for DWP. I either needed to find customers or find a job. This was also about the time the drag act started to dry up in the gig department. I ended up temping. I was working full time and I was good at my job. I ended up working in a school. Business dried up. Quite simply, I advertised in the wrong places and was taken a ride by two telephone directories. So at last, I had a living wage. And because I was working Monday to Friday, I had a living wage. It wasn't that much, but I had a living wage. Some Fridays I went to London. Sundays I went to my haunt. Although I was still looking for guys at evenings and at weekends at home, I still had regular guys at that point. But I was staying up until 4am in the morning looking. So again, work was affected. This came to a head in 2007. 2007. So I'm trying to juggle work, my sex life and my London trips. I'm finding myself in dangerous situations in London. My depression got worse and other problems started to show, like my panic attacks. I'm drug taking, prescribed and not prescribed. Work got affected and I went back into sickness benefits. This was fine, but because my benefits came on a Thursday, it meant I wasn't able to get to my haunt either on a Sunday or a Tuesday. I had to make do with Friday nights. This was okay as I was able to go and find drugs elsewhere, either online or in a venue. But this was fortnightly. My gyro was fortnightly. So my trips to London were fortnightly. I had enough. I wanted to break this cycle. So the following year, I decided to pull myself together and do something about it. There's a reason why these are getting a little bit shorter. And the reason for this is quite simple. 
I know what I was doing, but because there were too many occasions where I was missing, high, depressed, going to London, cruising online, or looking for porn, all I can remember is the activities rather than with whom and where. I used to pride myself with a good memory. As you can see from earlier posts, I can remember times, dates, places pre-2000s, but that is not the case now. When I heavily got into my addiction, things are just a blur. I remember sex. I remember drug taking with guys. I remember venues. All of these are simply blurred. Too many men in too short a time. This alone should have been the trigger to stop what I was doing. This should have been the time that people noticed. Problem is, I got so adept to hiding my sex life and its shortcomings, no one knew. Like I mentioned way back in 1991 with public toilets, what I was doing was illegal, the drugs, and because it was drilled into me at an early age that this was wrong, dirty, etc., and coupled with the fact from the age of 15 I was accustomed to the gay life being dangerous meant I simply thought this was the norm. The new technologies never helped either, as I was already damaged from the public loos and from the mugging. My risk-taking just kept on escalating. Anyway, 2008. This was the time of change. 2008. 2008 came. I made the decision to try college a third time. I went to my local college. I will get on a course. And I got myself onto a course called Access to Arts and Humanities, which enabled me to go to university. It made me realise that I could sit and learn something and that I could learn independently. For my dissertation, for the end of the year, I went very gay. Unbelievably gay. It was about the Eurovision Song Contest and block voting. Told you it was gay! I can tell you why there is block voting and why certain countries get in. I can also tell you about the Big Four. But that's not the reason why you're listening. I passed. I finally passed a college course and was going to university, as this gave me the structure I needed. Sex became secondary. I still went to London. I was still going to gay adult clubs where I knew the dealer. I was still also online at night when I wasn't writing essays. This September, I was going to university. Going to university. I was going to do a combined BA in television, film and theatre. I had my life finally planned out. I was going to work in television, behind the scenes, and this is what I wanted to do. At university, there was a gay group. I went on the first meeting. After that meeting, we went to the local bar. I fancied a couple of guys, and as they were talking to me, etc., I completely missed the fact they weren't interested in me sexually. I missed the train home and my dear friend had to save me. Something here is done on a regular basis. Many, many thanks to you for looking after me, even at these low periods. Although, we haven't got to the lowest period yet. More on that later. So that was the first and last time I went to that gay group. Anyway, I was happy with the London scene. Also, we have another year of university to tell. 2009. 2009 was when two major things happened in my life. Firstly, a friend of mine was found dead in Brighton. Secondly, my brother came out as trans. Before this point, they were my sister. I got counselling at university 
Student support services were fantastic. They do exactly what they say on the tin. As I was at university, I was trying to keep up with essays. These were done on my PC at home. Slight problem with writing essays on a PC with a broadband connection, especially when you are searching on the web. You are only one click away from dating sites or porn. I missed the essay deadlines. My depression and anxiety started to rear their ugly heads. And my panic attacks started showing up again. Another symptom that started was my legs used to give way for no reason, so at times at university I was using a stick. I vaguely remember my toes couldn't keep still either. Was I burning the candle at both ends? Was it down to the drug taking? I don't know. There is a part of me that does think that the sexual activities had negative repercussions and these could be attributed to my health and that it's my fault that I am the way I am. Maybe I was predisposed to have these health conditions and those activities just accelerated these symptoms. What is undeniable is that my past indiscretions did affect my health. Whether it was the events, the drugs or both, I simply just don't know. 2010. This was the year that my heat packed up. Time off university. This was the year I looked after a friend who had a heart issue, who took advantage of my goodwill. Time off university. I got behind at university. My mental health suffered even more. I went to my GP, who then referred me to mental health services. I had the appointment and the first psychiatrist I saw was bad. So bad, he basically accused me of picking mental health conditions off the shelf. This guy is also so bad that when I went to see my GP, I didn't have to say anything. He said to me straight up, do you want a second opinion? I want it. So, the second psychiatrist diagnosed me with depression, anxiety and OCD. My OCD is mainly to do with hygiene, more other people's than mine. This became an issue on the gay scene and I very quickly found out that MCAT killed my OCD stone dead. It was a simple solution. I looked for guys who were into chemsex and take MCAT. I went to clubs where I could buy it. For me, that was the problem solved. As I was on various different medications for my depression, sleep, etc. Something weird started to happen at night before I went to sleep. My legs kept moving on their own. I was able to suppress the movement, but it hurt if I did. My head kept jerking back and forth. Again, suppress, it stopped, but hurt. Then I started to make nonsensical sounds. Then I uttered my first involuntary word. I would love to say it was something nice and fluffy. It wasn't. It was the N-word. What the fuck was going on? I put this down to meds that I was on and thought nothing about it. Like everything else in my private life, I kept it a secret. University gave me a year off, but with these new symptoms and that I never got the help for the OCD due to cutbacks and mix-ups, we came to the conclusion that I should give up the course. Before I did, they made absolutely sure my benefits were correct and I got the income I needed. Although I never finished my BA, I wouldn't have the finances today if it wasn't for them. This is probably going to be one of the few points where I do break anonymity.
Thank you so much to the University of Reading for giving me the support when I was there and for the help for filling out those DWP forms. Your student support services were outstanding. In 2011, I'm going to actually find out what those panic attacks were and what these new symptoms are. Episode 5 will begin in 2011 and will be available on the 30th of April. I've been told to be promotional at this point, so here it is. Please follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram using at a 90s teen. You can also comment on the episode by clicking on the episode webpage link on your phone or by visiting the podcast page off my website. I'm currently posting Instagram photos and video galleries that complement this series. However, they do explicitly show the downward spiral of an addict, so please view with caution. There is a poll on my main website, which I will repost on Twitter and Facebook, so I know which direction I should go after the 30th of April. All votes will be greatly appreciated. Now, back to the credits. This podcast was written, produced and edited by a 90s teenager. All music on this podcast is available at Purple Planet. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, please visit the link in the description notes of this episode. Thank you for listening.